Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Phil Pendergast from Chemist. You're listening to the Epitome of Stupidity podcast. There's nothing left to give, nothing to Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 85. 85! Of Epitome of Stupidity. That's definitely us. an allegedly metal podcast. And probably your favorite. Um, I don't have a pop filter on this mic, and you can already tell. Sorry. You're already picking and popping. Sorry about that. No, you're not. In the background is fucking Chemist. Their song, Living Pyre, off the Holy Badass and Purely Chemist upcoming album, Deceiver. It is out this, or I'm sorry, November 19th. And, um,. I've been listening to it a lot here lately, and I can tell you that you are looking forward to it, because it is good. I am Clint. I am Brian, the poppy one. He's the poppy one. Um, Brian, you want to go first with what you're listening to? I got it pulled up. Good job out of you. Everyone that's listened to the last episode, I figure out how to do this <laughs> without having to remember. So, uh, let's see, we got Incubus. Oh, going Hang- full metal, aren't you? Hangman's Chair. Check those guys out. That was a good find by you. They're pretty all right. Thank you, Ola. Uh, let's see. Macedon, of course, because they released a new album. Typo Negative. And I got Slipknot on there, but I haven't got to listen to that single yet. It's on there. I went to. I was going to, and then I was like, no, nah, I don't want to. So I might not even going to. I might not even going to. I listened to it the other day. It's it's fine. You're the only reason I knew it existed. Uh, it's fine. It's, it's definitely getting after it and uh, heavy and all that fun stuff. I just. I don't know, man. They, I, it's almost like, uh, Jesus, I'm too far in to take this back now, too. It's almost like I outgrew them. Like, I, I can still listen to some of their older albums every here and there, but it's a lot of that's just not for me anymore. I don't listen to any of them ever. It, but, I mean, they're doing all right for themselves. It, they're a big deal. Um, obviously, I've been listening to The Mastodon as well. Uh, also, that came out here recently was a new jerry cantrell album and i enjoy that a lot uh baroness because i will be going to see them here tuesday uh tuesday the if today's the sixth then tomorrow's the seventh and monday's the, the ninth Ooh, tuesday the ninth here in columbus the allegedly mathematic podcast you're damn right we're doing numbers now um and i got on a big isis kick uh just in case anybody's for i've probably said that like 
300 times in the 85 episodes that we've had. But yeah. flash reminder, ISIS is still really good. Um, The band. The band. Not the, Thanks the for terrorists. clarifying, Brian. You're the only one that needs that clarification. You know that, right? You, hey, you don't know what our, our demographic <laughs> You're the only one that needs that clarification. Uh, Do you know what doesn't need clarified? Chemist? The deliciousness of Brimminghorn. Oh. Or chemist, for that matter. Damn it. That's what I get for not having my outline. Don't know where you're going. Yeah, that's what me. you get. Uh, Brimminghorn, and it's, it's delicious. I got an order of four bottles the other day, and uh, again, not to keep hitting the same nail here, but it is delicious. Uh, if you use the code EPITOMED, E-P-I-T-O-M-E-A-D, at BrimminghornMeadery.com, you will get a discount off your order, and they will ship you some of this deliciousness right to your damn door. You'll have to be there to sign for it because it is alcohol, but it will be worth it to take the day off work to wait on this package <laughs> yeah. and then drink it. Um, speaking of drinking things. Speaking of drinking things, I'm going to take a drink of this Boston winter lager. Samuel Adams winter lager. Sorry. I don't know who I'm apologizing to or for what, so go fuck yourself, too. And we're getting ready to call a guy from the previously mentioned... Chemist. And I got to tell you, we're recording this a couple days after I actually had the conversation with him. You're in for a doozy. It's going to run a little bit longer than usual for us, but it is a good one. And what makes it even better is Brian isn't there. Probably the best one we've ever done. (laughs) Going back in time, throwing it to, what's his name? Uh, Phil. Phil, front man slash, did you play guitar? Yes, front man and guitar guitar player player for Chemist. Brian? This is still my favorite bit that nobody likes, so you're still going to have to dial some numbers. I thought I was throwing it to you in the, in the Brianless um, hemisphere. It's the epitome of stupidity. It'll work either way. Well, what, what was your intro? I have no idea. Wow. I think I still did the any answered. Okay. So I'm going to dial phone number right now for a guy who answered three days, three ago. days ago. All right. It's long distance because it was it was in the past. Doop, doop, doop. Okay. Ring. That's a good clarification. And he answered. On the line with me, and just me, because Brian sucks, is Phil of the Mighty Fucking Chemist. Phil, how are you today, all of my goofiness aside? What's up, man? Um, yeah, Brian does suck, doesn't he? Unbelievable. Can't make it to the fucking podcast interview. Uh, gosh, what a loser. Unbelievable. But yeah, it's it's good to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, we are certainly glad to have you, even if we is just me. Uh, I lately I've been starting these conversations with just the generic. What are you listening to lately? Oh man, um, honestly, I've been not really like finding a ton of new metal that I've been super into this year. But um, just recently, I feel like a couple of things have finally started to sort of spark my attention there like i really like this new veil burner album it's like a pretty weird death metal record um really psychedelic and strange um i was just listening to this new uh green lung album and I, i haven't really been into like a sort of stoner rock type album in quite a while but i i'm really liking that it's kind of fun and reminds me of like early sword uh, records and stuff, um, but just lots of not metal things. Like I was just listening to Willie Nelson <laughs> last night, and uh, I always love stuff like that. I've been listening to a lot of jazz. Um, 
I one of my favorite records this year, probably my favorite record is uh this new Pharaoh Sanders album uh that he did uh called Floating Points. I'm assuming um, this is a jazz musician. Yeah, he's like kind of part of the start of in the sixties, like this spiritual jazz movement that like John Coltrane kind of made the definitive album in Love Supreme. Um, but he, you know, still doing it. Really old guy, uh, saxophonist, and he has an album out that has like the London Symphony Orchestra on it. Nice. And the whole album is like basically one song with the same like chord motif. Uh, but it's just gorgeous how it like blossoms and contracts back into something simple. Um, really like that record a lot. Really like, um, the new album by this kind of, I guess it's like sort of used to be like a lo-fi kind of indie band called Low, um, who I was into maybe in high school a little bit, the early records and never kept up with, but, uh, they have a new record out this year that I decided to listen to for some reason. It just like blew my mind. It's like totally different from their early stuff really loud and like blown out and distorted and the songs are built off of really weird like distorted sounds and just has like gorgeous vocals um so yeah those are some of my favorites from this year that i've been listening to quite a bit it's funny how often jazz comes up in these conversations with you know metal quote-unquote dudes yeah it's it always surprises me. I mean, I'm I'm not opposed to a little bit here and there. There was a here's a tangent nobody saw coming. Um, that <laughs> uh, that big ass black album uh, thing that they put out here recently. Yeah. Toward yeah. towards the end of it, I'm never going to be able to come up with the name of whoever it is. Uh, I think it's my friend of misery. There's this just amazing jazz version of it that, I, candidly, is one of three reasons to listen to that just bloated thing but um was it kamasi washington yes yes it was yeah yeah he's yeah that's an example of like he also is playing in that spiritual jazz tradition that this pharaoh sanders album is really good at that is that that's some good stuff but uh, yeah to bring it back to where we were originally it it's just it never ceases to amaze me or amuse me is probably the better word there how often jazz comes up in these conversations but um it's I mean, this this podcast is what it's about stupidity, right? There's Amen. nothing particularly stupid about uh, jazz music, so it's kind of <laughs> the uh, the epitome of the, uh, the antithesis yeah. of, of of stupidity. But um, I, I like plenty of stupid stuff too. <laughs> Amen to stupid stuff. So come November nineteenth, a lot of people's responses to what are you listening to is going to be this massive album of you guys is called Deceiver. Um, I, I always wonder how much does someone in your position love or hate the flood of people's opinions about this thing that you've put so much into once it gets out to everybody? Yeah. Um, it's an interesting question that I don't think I've ever had somebody like directly ask me before. I I have like mixed feelings about it. I mean, on one hand, especially when it's an album like this that was really difficult and challenging in terms of kind of what it's about and what we had to do to make it. Um, 
when that's been the case, it can be really cathartic to sort of have created something that's like a physical monument to, you know, the dark place that it came from and have it be something that's literally like outside of you and that you kind of hand off to the world and that it like exists on its own without being attached to like the personal things that spurred it on in the first place. Okay. And so that like handing off of, you know, the thing is really kind of therapeutic and cathartic to do. Um, but at the same time, I think in the past I've, um, maybe gotten sucked up too much into like making sure that I look at everyone's opinions about what we've done and that that's actually been a really bad thing for just my own ability to like be happy with what I've done for a, on its own sake without thinking about like what it means to anybody else. And, um, so with this record, I honestly, uh, I've kind of committed myself to not reading everything that gets written about it. And, uh, I, I kind of, you know, it sounds sort of like I'm just being selfish or something, but like, I, I really kind of don't care, uh, what people's go, opinions yeah. about it are. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's something that I feel confident enough in for what it's been able to do for me, what it's represented in my life, that I'm okay just having sort of sole ownership over it in my mind and not having to feel like it's something that belongs to a bunch of people that they can say whether it sucks or is worthy or, or not. You know, I just, um, because it's kind of the nature of what the album's about, it's really personal to me and like, I have to sort of protect myself to some degree and say, you know, I know that I'm happy with what I did and that um, if people love this, then great. But uh, I don't really care what, you know, Joe Schmo uh, on YouTube thinks about it, you know, or whatever. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I have a little bit of a conflicted relationship with this particular record in that it's like, kind of the most personal set of songs um, for me and about sort of some of the most sensitive issues that I've ever wanted to write about. And um, I think the process of making it was enough for me and I don't really need to rely on what anybody has to say about it. That's uh, I think that that is, I think that's the way to go, but you have to get there honestly. And it, it sounds yeah. like you most certainly have. And, you know, I've, I've looked through the lyrics and I've read the press releases and everything. And I certainly understand where you're coming from with all that, but, or well, at least as much as I can from my perspective. Um, but yeah, no, I think if you can get there, honestly, that's the way to go. That's, uh, that's really cool that you feel that way about it. And it, you know, I, I've already said a couple of times in our conversation that it is just massive and awesome. And, um, you know, you're stuck talking to me, so you're going to get my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's okay. Honestly, like, you know, I, I know that I'm going to be exposed to some people's opinions and that there are some that I value and care to hear what people have to say. But I think really more what I mean is like, I'm not going to rage through the comments. Of, no. Yeah, of course. Like stuff about it or like, you know, read, try and hunt down like every review that comes out about it. <laughs> I, I really don't care. You know, like I, you know, if I'm talking to somebody and they want to tell me what they think about it, like, sure, I want to hear it. But, um, you know, otherwise, like it's not going to change my opinion about with it so it's not going to serve me 
uh, in any positive way to do that. That's good, man. I'm glad for it. It uh, let's you mentioned there, you know, what the album's about, and uh, you know, there there's certainly some some heavy lyrical things in here. I would like to. I would have liked to have come up with a smart way of asking this, but again, the epitome of stupidity. So I'm just going to yeah. do the generic. Let's elaborate on the lyrics a little bit, if you could. The lyrical okay. themes and I mean, content. Yeah, just like overall, um, I would say that. Um, I kind of like am, a little loath to call something. A concept album that doesn't tell us, explicit story. Because okay. it feels to me like that's kind of what a concept album is like uniquely supposed to do. Sure, like the but, exact definition. Yeah, right. But to me, like this is at least like a thematically cohesive album because uh, it is kind of supposed to be taken as one piece, and that like in the process of making the record, um, I kind of realized that there wasn't anything that I wanted to say anymore with music um until i realized that that was something that i was contending with uh and that that was coming from a place of me feeling like my own sort of personal suffering and issues that i've been dealing with over the past year and a half or so um aren't meaningful enough in the broader scheme of what's happening in the world you know when there's like literally millions of people dying right. and uh, all these racial justice issues coming to the forefront in the U S and issues around like women's autonomy and body uh, autonomy and rights and queer people's rights, trans people's rights, like all these things are being challenged um, that it feels like I don't have like a collective story that, like matters or is worth telling right now uh that's as like a you know like straight white middle-aged right dude yeah living like a solidly like middle-class comfortable lifestyle these days like uh contending with a lot of depression like kind of crushed by the weight of like seeing all this stuff happening in the world but only really being able to focus on like keeping myself afloat because I'm like barely hanging on uh, and how lonely and isolating that feels. And so that kind of opened me idea that it was okay to actually just write about that. And that I realized that this idea that like my story isn't meaningful and that what I'm contending with isn't legitimate um is just a story that i tell myself and that it leaves me feeling unworthy uh in lots of ways in life and uh so i began to sort of journal and think about and sort through the various ways that i do the same thing in other ways where i tell myself that like i'm bound to repeat sort of this thing you know the rest of my life or like that kind of like the worst things that I've ever done define who I am or um, that like addiction and mental illness are things that you can't do anything about and that you'll never overcome 
Uh, and some of these stories are kind of true, and some of them are just lies. Um, really, the album is kind of in each song, diving into these different personal hells that we all create in ourselves when we tell ourselves these stories that limit us and who we are. Um, so each song is related by that theme, and I think that the kind of overall album ends up playing out a little bit like Dante's descent in Inferno, where he, you know, it's it's really about a protagonist who like literally works their way through the various levels of hell. Um, I felt like that could be kind of a strong thematic device to use to kind of tie the whole thing together. So record sort of starts with like us diving in, uh, setting the stage. Uh, opening the gate to hell and then kind of just working our way back um, on each song until you finally kind of get to the moment where you see the light again, but uh, nothing more hopeful than that. <laughs> that felt like the most honest conclusion that I could really try to write at the time. Um, and so that's sort of the hopeful release at the end of the album is reaffirming uh, a will to live but n not a whole lot beyond that <laughs> holy shit man we've uh you know for being the epitome of stupidity we've had we've actually had some smart conversations but i don't know that we've ever had anything as deep as that that's uh like i said i had an idea going into it but that's a lot man good on you that that's uh that certainly gives everything a different perspective good i mean that's kind of the hope from talking about all this is that people can get a I don't really want to like change people's understanding if they feel like they have one that means something to them already for the album you know like I would hate to be the one that says like that's not what that song is about right um but I do think it can be helpful to sort of like know where an artist's headspace is with what they're trying to create and this is really just like a uh, you know an exercise in like trying to stare into the abyss <laughs> um of my own sort of my own weaknesses and faults and see what there is to learn from it um as a way of trying to better myself and open myself up to uh connecting again with humanity in a more meaningful way now the um there's i i don't this this seems this sounds crass mentally to me so i'm going to preface it with what I've already said. Um, the the obvious way to see that is through the lyrics and following a, a story in that form. But I'm assuming that there were parts of that that came through musically as well. How often were you sitting with your guitar and it, you know, something just felt right. Something just made you move it forward. Something, you know, almost like a compelled feeling. Yeah. I mean, we always do the music first, so the music's being created in a space where, where there aren't really like lyrical concepts yet. But I think I realized pretty early on when we were writing the album, kind of like what the theme was going to have to be, um, and that they're related. You know, like if I don't know what it is that we're working towards, I find it hard to get into that mode where it feels like I'm just like almost like channeling something or where it just feels automatic. Okay. Um, 
and it wasn't really until you know we kind of had uh the music for you know really the first song that was kind of finished and like done and that i started writing lyrics for too is living pyre um which ben wrote the majority of the music for that song and uh it wasn't really until like we had that together that i think kind of as a group we sort of felt like the gates had been opened to our creativity for this project and like that we could figure out like how to build out musically from that point in a way that was going to deliver on and reinforce kind of this theme that I was imagining. Sure. Um, and, you know, then at various points, either the writing is hard or it's easy, you know, like uh, I think in a lot of places on this record, um, sort of the hands just kind of take over and play what sounds right. Uh, and that sometimes that happened when it's just like all of us in the practice space together that we um, were like, ah, that's not quite right. What do we want it to be right here? And then me and Ben will just trade off playing little parts of a riff until we come up with something that we are like, yeah, that's it. Right. And and that can feel really inspiring when that happens. And it happened quite a bit. Um, but there's also other parts of the record that are like, we're very intellectual to write. And um, again, the antithesis of the epitome of stupidity <laughs> where like, you know, we there's really a lot of syllables for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, um, that we really had to like sit down and like, it's almost like a math equation or something, you know, like figure out how these puzzle pieces were going to work together. Um, so I think the record is kind of unique in our disco discography in that, like, almost more intellectualized than a lot of the writing that we'd done on past records where we would just kind of hammer it out in a space together. In this case, there was, um, some limitations because of like COVID and we're all kind of isolated for each other from each other for right. a few months where, you know, Ben and I are just like learning how to use like software, like guitar pro, which is like, you can write guitar riffs in it and then it'll like play back something that sounds kind of like what it's supposed to sound like. You know, we're like writing songs in that and sending it back and forth to each other and tweaking it. And then like, the nice thing about doing that is you can write layers to it and right. figure out like, oh, this is going to be really cool if there's five different guitars doing stuff. <laughs> um, so, you know, kind of ran the gamut from that to, uh, you know, just more basic sort of hammering out together. But I think it's that combination of like um, just feeling and intellectualism that ends up making the album what it is. I imagine yeah. the uh the idea of uh writing to guitar pro and um over distance when you're used to doing things in the room together while it has positives I imagine that had a kind of cold feel for you guys. Oh dude, totally. Yeah. I hated it. I mean, I honestly, bet. still I do. Like I hate <laughs> using that thing. Um it was it was pragmatic for us to use it because of the situation but like it's not something i would have elected to do i don't think it was fun i don't think it had a lot of positives other than that by the time we were able to get back together we were like really dying to do that and <laughs> that it, it you know it made it more fun and like some degree more efficient because we had a lot of material created that we both knew how to play because we could learn it from it um 
you know, so you know, it had its good its good parts and its bad parts, sure. I guess. Uh, how much? Because you guys, this album certainly sounds like Chemist in all the best fucking ways, but there's also some areas where it feels like you guys branch out a little bit musically. Do you think that any of those kind of exploratory uh, riffs, parts, however I should phrase that, there were born of that odd situation of you know the isolated writing, or was that something that came together when you guys were actually in the room and feeling creative? not because of that different approach to writing even though it seems like really what happened is we've we've always been a band who probably more than any other genre of metal doesn't listen to a lot of doom (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of funny you know that that's sort of what we're probably closest to doing but you know it really is true that like the shared set of influences we have as a band are coming from classic and southern rock um, and an appreciation for early traditional heavy metal like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and Merciful Fate. Um, and then other than that, kind of what we listen to is black and death metal for the most part. Uh, and that hasn't been something that's come through super explicitly necessarily on our previous records, but it's always been like under the surface and i think in the past some things that we've done have been interpreted as like power metal when they're actually supposed to be coming from a place of like mellow death okay um and so i think this is just like this is kind of the record where like we decided that we could be more explicit about those influences and had the confidence in ourselves as writers and his players that it would still come off as chemists playing this and not us like exploring different genres for like the sake of tourism you know like it's it's sort of like we felt confident enough and like this was an honest enough expression of like who we are and that like we shouldn't have to shy away from that we would just kind of look at the song as a whole and say you know, it would be really badass if the record opened with a Swedish death metal riff. <laughs> um, you know, or like if that song sort of mutates into a black metal conclusion, you know, and it, it, it all that stuff can ex- exist under the sphere of like what Chemist is as long as it's us playing it. And so um, it's just sort of us having more confidence in our songwriting process and in knowing that like these aren't going to feel shoehorned in if we're doing it in service of what the song journey is supposed to be sure um as long as we're cognizant of that then we can kind of experiment with like a lot of different styles and sounds and it'll still end up being cohesive cool that uh that wasn't the answer i was expecting and uh i like (laughs) most of the answers that i've gotten from you so far today it hasn't been what i've expected it's been so much cooler um Speaking of shoehorn, since you used the word there, I'm going to shoehorn this uh, the uh, the confidence into a question about nuclear blast. Nuclear blast was uh you know this is your first record with them, right? Yeah, they they sort of did like a worldwide release of Desolation, uh, our last record, um, but Twenty Bucks Bin did North America and kind of was like the main people in, in charge, right? So we've 
sort of like seen what looking what it looks like to work with nuclear blasts before, but we haven't fully gotten like the full treatment until now. So I would assume you guys got at least a little boost of confidence when you when you found out that you were going to get backed by them, right? Yeah, I mean, it's something that's been in the works for a while. Like, even after Absolution came out, we've had other labels that have been talking to us um, about signing on, but we really liked working with 20 Bucks Spin. They're like a small independent label. It's one guy that runs it. He's really fair and upfront about how everything works. He does a good job for his bands. You know, the pressings are always cool for all the records. Like, it's kind of an ideal dream, like indie situation. Um, but I think we realized, like, after Hunted came out and that it was getting sort of more recognition, that we probably could benefit from moving up to a larger label. Um, and I remember it really distinctly, like, the first flyout show that we ever did. Uh, with the band was going out to New York City to play St. Vitus Bar uh, right after Hunted came out in early 2017. And um, Monty Connor from uh, Nuclear Blast, formerly from Roadrunner, um, who signed Corn and Slipknot. and Back in the good Roadrunner days. Good old Roadrunner days. Exactly. Like, the dude responsible for the good days of Roadrunner. Right. Came out to the show and he just like hung out with us all night and he was so cool and not in like a industry like trying to pour glitter and strippers down the throat <laughs> kind of way like in like a you know like cool uncle kind of way right. and and he just reminded us a lot of the relationship that we had with Twenty Bucks Spin and that it felt like if we were going to be moving up that we didn't want to lose that that like personal connection. He was just passionate about the band and the music, and he didn't want to tell us what to do. He was like, I see that you guys have a vision for the band. Uh, you guys are great at what you're doing. I just want to support that and give you more resources to make the records you want to make. And we were like, sold. Right. <laughs> you know, done. That's exactly what we want from a label. And so um, they've proven to deliver on that. Uh, you know, with this new record, we had a bigger budget so we could stay in the studio for longer. Um, get it sounding how we wanted it to sound get to spend more time um being creative in the studio and using the studio as a tool rather than like as an assembly line and main to an end, um, yeah. and and so it just made making the record even though writing the record was really like onerous and difficult and trying making the record in the studio was really fun because we had all this extra time and we could just like dick around with guitar sounds for a whole day uh, <laughs> for like three parts on the whole album and be like, yeah, we need to have this like <laughs> HM2, like death metal sounding guitar sound on these three parts. We're going to spend an entire day doing, that, you know, <laughs> we wouldn't have done that before. Like, it, and so it just made it way more fun. So I'm super appreciative for what they've done and done a great job with press for this album. You know, we've been talking to people, all over the world and um just hope that that means that more people get to hear what we do and um maybe come see us at shows and stuff and yeah hopefully it ends up just reaching more people because of it amen to that um the uh i i mentally there i had a thought with you talking about the studio and keep going back to the studio and i 
in the you know in 2021 where everything's digital and you're you know the guitar pro and reaper and all these things i i I don't even know if i have a question here so much as to say i'm just glad that you guys went into a studio and did it in what feels like an old school way in these times you know where you have the resources to find that death metal sound for those three parts yeah me too i i love records like i you know i'm not like a playlist person or like uh a vibe <laughs> yeah no I, i'm the same you way know? i want to listen to an album from start to finish right right unless like you know there certainly are some bands that i appreciate for like a song or two but really like it's about albums for me and this record is definitely an album and it should sound and come across a certain way and i'm just glad that we had the time to do that correctly um we've always i think struggled to sort of get the mix for our albums sounding like how we want um we've recorded all of them with the same guy so uh you know that factor hasn't that's not like a variable that's changed with each album it's been you know chemists working with dave otero at flatline audio in denver colorado um every time and so you can just kind of see what having more time and more experience with the studio environment uh, kind of has done by listening to the album after hearing the other ones and it's just more refined in a lot of ways it's more dynamic um, the parts are the tones for each part are more suited for what they're supposed to be um, you know just like overall I think it's a kind of a stronger more cohesive more varied package uh, and that that just comes from having more confidence in the studio more time a uh, good relationship with the guy that we're working with there. Um, you know, all that helps you feel like you can create the thing that you really want to make. Yeah, I, I can I can imagine that. Um, and it, it certainly shows through. Um, the, it, there's no bass player now. What happened to the bass player? Yeah, so Dan Byers, uh, you know, he was in the band before I was, like before it had an before the band had a name, he and Ben, uh, you know, met up because of Craigslist and oh, gotta uh, love Craigslist got together. Stuff. You do. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they were getting together and drinking beers and playing riffs. And, uh, then I joined on soon after and Zach, uh, our drummer joined in, uh, pretty soon after that too. And, um, you know, I think he, we've all grown a lot as people um from being in the band you know we've been together for almost 10 years now and obviously when those are years that are spent in your like 20s and 30s and 40s like a lot happens uh in your life during that time and i think that we had not done a super good job of kind of checking in with each other uh and retaining kind of like the the distinction between an appreciation for each other's personal development as well as the band's development as well as like our personal attachments with our families and things and that the whole covid experience of like kind of the band ceasing to exist for a while um not having any commitments to anything for a while opened up this space where 
we all kind of were forced to take like an honest look at uh, our lives and what the band means for us. And, you know, it's a huge investment of time that doesn't pay off monetarily anywhere close to what we put into it. Sure. Um, and it's a sacrifice, um, especially to our families. And, you know, I think that the three of us came back from that with an increased passion, at least towards this project and wanting to see it through, make the album. And for Dan, uh, he didn't feel the same way to the same degree as us. And um, that's totally fine, you know? And um, Sure, things change. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think we owed it to ourselves at that point to have a conversation about this. And if that meant that, you know, he didn't want to go on with it and make that record, then, you know, we just knew that we had to do it. And so Ben played the bass on the album, uh, the other guitar player and chemist, uh, and he did a great job. I mean, he's not a bass player, but uh, crushed it. And, it, you know, I think it, it stands as a testament then to the experience of the three of us because you know it was really the three of us that wrote the album the three of us that recorded it the three of us that are doing press for it and it's um you know it's kind of like a new chapter for the band in a way uh that it's really kind of born out of a less um a less expansive set of people's uh opinions experiences sure um now I'm going to get on my high horse for a second and cuss at you. Um, <laughs> the you fucking yeah. guitar players pick up my damn instrument and just whiz your way through it like you're fucking cool or something. Look, I'm a guitar player. I can play the bass too. Lottie fucking <laughs> da. You tell Ben I said kiss my ass. Yes, I will. I I tell him to kiss my ass all the time. So <laughs> I'll I'll do it and I'll have him do it on your behalf. This works um, for me. I I was blown away. Like I I. I I have a bass and I I play it occasionally and it's it's I think guitar players underestimate how hard it is to give a really good performance on bass because so much depends on your ability to have some restraint <laughs> uh you know not like fret those notes too hard or hit the strings too hard right. or move your fingers on the strings too loudly um not uh, pick too hard. You know, it's so easy for the intonation on the bass to be off. You know, to be playing out of tune because you're uh, picking too hard yep. or fretting the notes wrong. And um, Ben did a really good job adapting to like having to keep a really consistent pick dynamic. Um, you know, I think uh, it's not something that I probably would have been able to pull off. But but he's a really good player, and you know. Um, kind of able to bounce some ideas off of each other about what choices to make. And I, I wasn't there in the studio when he was doing the bass. So a lot of that, I think, also goes to Dave, uh, our producer, you know, just being able to sort of occupy the space of, like, what does the bass need to be doing? What does it not need to be doing? What's a tasteful level of, of like, embellishment right. to provide um, without it going off the rails? You know, it doesn't need to be a third guitar. Um, it's supposed to be a rhythm. This is factual. So, yes. Yeah. So, so finding the right space for it, you know, um, that's got to be difficult, especially when you're a guitar 
guitar player like Ben that can play like a lot of notes really fast, um, <laughs> you know, to just like have some restraint. Uh, but he did a good job rising to all those challenges. It, you know, I think we, we sort of like made an effort to make the bass have a slightly different tone um, for this album, serve a slightly different purpose because it's not the same bass that you're used to sure. hearing on a chemist record. And so, you know, it's it, it's a little bit busier. It occupies a little bit more space in the mix. Uh, it has a little bit more like mid-range, upper mid-range. It's a little bit more present feeling because of that. So, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, we kind of toyed with everything about the bass so that it would fit what he's doing, uh, but it ended up being great because of it. What's the plan for playing these things live, or playing live in general? Yeah, we so we've had one show uh, back in August. We went to Cycle Las Vegas and played festival there, um, and we had this guy Dave Small, uh, lives in denver with us he plays in another band with a band called glacial tomb um he uh he's a great musician the plan i think for now at least is just to have him be playing bass whether or not like he is like a full-on sort of member of chemist i think we have to wait and see how well we all do if we're in a stinky van together <laughs> for a, a month you know like you have to be able to hang in that situation <laughs> Yeah. Or else it's like you can't do it. But um, you know, provided that like that test gets passed, you know, I think probably he could be the guy. He's okay. a really nice dude and easy to get along with, which is ninety percent of it, and he's, you know, way more than capable of playing these often uh surprisingly musically stupid songs. <laughs> uh to the degree that they need to be played. <laughs> but again, it, the test of in a van after there wasn't anything else to eat, so we had to stop at Taco Bell and seeing who lives through that experience will actually exactly. make the decision. Yeah, um, that's very important. <laughs> it's And it should be. Uh, I've got a bunch of other questions here, but uh, you've been uh, so eloquent in some of these answers that I don't know that we're going to get to a lot of them. But before we move away from the album and I ask anything, unrelated of, well, of the album for what it's worth i you know i have time to be on here for a little bit longer so if you want to ask other stuff you can uh, you don't have to. cool yeah no we'll go uh, a little bit longer sure um but more than anything i uh, well not more than anything but the point that i was getting to there is i want to talk the only to... thing you wanted to talk to me about <laughs> well you know i do really love the artwork and i love artwork in general especially with the weird dark shit so, yeah, you know, not too far from the truth. Yep. Um, I've been saying this guy's name over and over in my head so that I would be able to say it like I knew it when we were in conversation, and now I've lost the damn thing. It's Sam Turner. Sam Turner. I knew it was something simple. Sam Turner, yep. who has just been banging out amazing piece after amazing piece for you guys. And this Deceiver artwork is no slouch in the uh, in the run of things here. What did you? What was the first thing you thought of when he presented that to you guys, or when you saw it? Well, I presented it to him first. Oh, well, <laughs> I, 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 I'm like, especially for the last two albums, I've been like really involved in the art for the album, and I, um, I had had this idea for the album art of having a figure who's 
clearly connected to the other figures you've seen on the other album art, but who it's not real obvious if it is any of them or if you're seeing them in the correct time well, dimension. Things that just kind of sits in the back of your brain like maybe. Yeah, exactly. Something that's like vaguely related, you know, but it's in the same universe clearly. Um, standing, waiting through the river sticks, uh, essentially like in purgatory, um, confronting uh, his reflection, which is a demonic version of himself and being like pulled under by it uh so that was my concept for the the album art and so i'd drawn him like a sketch uh and sent it to him and uh he was like really into the idea you know artistically he really wanted to do because he hadn't really done this for us before like uh, an album cover that was more focused on like a, a single figure sort of occupying most of the real estate on the cover so like he wanted to you know have it be really centered on this figure and um then like you know i was like okay that would be really cool you know uh it gives us lots of room to create all this detail that's interesting um we wanted it to be darker in tone than the other album covers because it is our darkest album and so you know the color palette is like very dark almost black and white there's like some dark greens uh it felt like kind of a more organic album in a way and so that dark green was sort of feeling appropriate um but yeah i mean really it's it's like a pretty uh direct artistic interpretation of what the album is about you know it's like about this figure who's like kind of like lost in you know this purgatory who's confronting their inner demons, who's um, not resigned to the fate that they are posing uh, by any means, who, like, is kind of asking for it and, like, willing to do that battle with that demon. Um, and so that's, like, exactly what he delivered. Uh, you know, I'm, I think it's awesome. Uh, and it looks great. Like, if you're a person who has a record player or if you're just a person who has a 12 inch space on a wall that like needs a piece of art, you should buy the record because it looks way better than the digital pictures really do it justice. Like it, it's, it looks awesome. The back cover is also sick. It's like the dude and the demon doing battle uh, underwater. And then the inside booklet is like a full size 12 inch booklet that has you know, the lyrics and stuff, but it also has, like, an image for each song. Um, so, yeah, the whole thing is, like, a badass package, and I'm super stoked. One of my favorite parts of being in this band is that we committed to a, a cool album art uh, aesthetic early on and that we've managed to maintain that and that I always have loved bands that did that, um, like Iron Maiden, you know, sure. and... Uh, and I love that there's sort of like a story going on across the albums, but we try not to give too much of it away because like I want to hear what people think is going on, and I like like hearing their version of the story. Right. Yeah. Um. So it's it's continuing that, but like I'll just say that like as a, like an Easter egg, like we don't maybe have to think about like time and space as so literal anymore. We've kind of transcended the like the order of the narrative on the past album covers. And now we're existing in like a more abstract space uh, that you're seeing this character in. So he's someone you see on the other albums, but he's not 
you know, it's ambiguous where this exists in the universe right. of the other ones. That is, uh, again, th- not the answer I expected and so much better than what I was planning on responding to. Because uh, uh, that's, you know, again, I love all the artwork and all that stuff. And I I never, like, I kind of realized that it was kind of the same dude in a couple of the different ones, but I didn't realize it was as deep as you just laid out. And uh, I, I overthink everything. I'm I'm <laughs> the antithesis of the epitome of stupidity oftentimes in myself. And uh, like I went as far as writing like a five or six page short story about this character, how it fits into the other album covers, what his motivations are, what he's doing. Uh, and he because the look of the character that he drew wasn't quite right. So I wrote this whole fucking short story so that <laughs> he could like better represent like what the character felt like he should look like. And then it was like perfect. But, um, you know, like it has to go that far sometimes. So you wrote him the short story so that he could better relay the idea. Exactly. That's <laughs> fucking awesome. Yeah, it's insane. It's like total insanity. <laughs> but sometimes you're just like compelled to do these things because like you just feel like you need to that uh I, I get that way with this stuff for no reason but except for my own like that i want it to be like what i'm imagining you know sure you want your vision to come across correctly uh that and it sounds like you've got the tools to to relay the info and get the product or get the finished product it helps that sam is an awesome artist and that like whenever he's making art he brings a lot of himself to it so kind of in the same way that like the band is always going to sound like, like chemist because it's us like that artwork is always going to look like it belongs in the same lineage because it's always going to have his DNA on it. And yeah. he knows that like we want it to be kind of in the style of like those Molly Hatch or those, uh, yeah, those Molly Hatchet album covers that Frank Rosetta did, you know, like that that's like the style. Sure. And so, um, yeah, but he adds like so much to those, like, the picture is way cooler than what I had in mind with like all these figures, you know, around him that are also right. in that space. And yeah, it's all badass. It's it cool. certainly it's, is. It? It's stupid. It appeals to the reptile part of your brain. When you see cool <laughs> fantasy shit. Um, also of note here. Um, I don't know if it's good or bad, but I think that might be the first Molly Hassett reference on this podcast too. Really? I, think I mean, it might be more, more more notable band for the album art than for the music, unfortunately. But that was something that like all of us uh, as kids had in our, our dad's record collections, right? And that we all had the experience of like looking at those album covers and being like, "This is bad," right? And then like putting on the record and being like, "What?" <laughs> and square um, peg round you know, hole. It's not, it's not bad music, but it's like kind of. Like there isn't truth in advertising right, the album right. cover, you know. This isn't um, what I so, bought. Right, and so like that was kind of Zach's idea uh, originally. Was like, what if we made albums that sounded like the covers looked for the <laughs> the Molly Hatchet album covers, and we were all like, yes. So that's like really where it came from. <laughs> that's fucking cool. Um, speaking of where things came from, where did the name come from? Uh. You know, once upon a time, me and Ben were questing uh, 
through the veiled realms of uh, insanity, and <laughs> we happened upon a glowing orb um, in the distance. And as we approached it, we were transported to um, the ancient city of Chemis in Egypt, uh, just after it fell to the Greeks. Um, Cleopatra herself <laughs> bespoke the name of the band to us, and we uh, fell into a time trap. We were uh, encased in amber until the year 2012, when we were um, brought back. Uh, nature finds a way, as they say in <laughs> Jurassic Park. And uh, we delivered that name upon ourselves, uh, you know, as for, for the band. And what did 2012 <laughs> yourselves have to say to future past traveling time people? You? They were like, fuck yeah, dude, that's sick. <laughs> and rightfully so. <laughs> um, you guys have uh, you guys have a show. I I think it's announced, right? You guys have a show coming up with uh, our guys Somnuri here soon, as well as oh. a tour coming up. Um, yeah, yeah. How uh, are you in New York? I am not. We are in uh, we're okay. in Columbus, Ohio. So okay, if it's not already on any planned dates, please add it. Um, yeah, we'll 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 try and do that at some point. I know it's not yet something that we have uh, scheduled, but yeah. Let's try and do that. Either way, I, I just you know, this is the super generic question where I just want to hear people talk about playing these things live. Uh and I'm gonna ask it in the same form that I've asked it a couple times. How excited are you to get out and start playing some of these fucking things for people? I am super excited to be playing for people again. Like fundamentally, Chemist is a rock and roll band, not like a studio project. Um despite the fact that like the thing I want to do with the band is make good records more than anything else. Um, I, I do love like feeding off the energy of people that, that get the songs, you know, and like, sure. It's so gratifying to like see people singing along or crying like during a show about something that like, I also cried about at some point in time, you know? And, right. Um, so I'm super excited to make that human connection again around the music at the same time i'm terrified because all the new songs are really hard to play and sing <laughs> and um, truthfully that is my favorite part of this answer whenever somebody gets to talking about this type of stuff and they get to say you know we really pushed ourselves and then it comes back around to trying to play the damn things live that's yeah. that's when i get excited i'm sorry to completely interrupt you with that please continue no 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 i'm glad that other people have the same problem i mean the thing for me this is i always totally screw myself on this front but like i i write like 80 percent of the vocals without a guitar in my hand and so like i don't limit myself to what's like easily possible while playing with both right. yeah and so and i always like try as much as possible to not sing something that's melodically like what the guitar part is doing or rhythmically like what the guitar part right. is doing. So. I always write these parts that are in counterpoint to what I'm doing on guitar, and it's always a struggle to figure out how to do it. And 80% of the time, the parts come together pretty fast. But then it's like that 20% where I'm like, what was I thinking when I decided <laughs> to do this that makes it impossible? And then on this record, like, 
the songs are just harder to sing. Uh, and so I just kind of have my work cut out for me. I have to actually work at it this time, which is unfortunate. But um, it, it'll be really fun to pull some of these songs off live. I think probably it'll be a while before we can play like all of the songs um, live. Like, like the last song on the album is so hard to play and sing at the same time. <laughs> um, even like a lot of uh, a Living Pyre is really hard, but like we're going to, it was the first single on the album we have to play. Right, so, right, right. You know, like we're figuring that one out. Not right getting now. out of that one. Um, yeah, exactly. But uh, there's a lot of fun challenges to be had, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to becoming, you know, better at what I do by having to learn how to do it. So something to be learned from it, I guess. But always bummed at myself for like not standing up for myself in the studio and being like, you know what? We have to find a different idea that's cool because I can't play and sing that easily. <laughs> that uh, maybe next time, right? Yeah, there's always next time. <laughs> Uh, I've got one more question for you before we end this in the stupid way that we usually end this. I say we talking about, I guess me and you, we are two people. So that makes more than one. All right. never mind. And again, just in (laughs) case anybody forgot, fuck you, Brian. Um, and your job. Yeah. Fuck off, Brian. Jesus. Uh, something I think a little bit too much about and look at too much for who I am is the, uh, the streaming numbers when you're looking at Spotify and I, I I have too much fun looking back and forth between, you know, this band versus this band, this song, what song is the most like the other day I realized that uh, rain and blood was the highest streamed Slayer song where I would have bet on angel of death. And it's not close. It's more by like a hundred million or something crazy. Oh, right. (laughs) Do you ever get lost looking at those numbers, especially in relation to you guys? Is is there ever a moment where you you catch one of those numbers and it's just like, you know, again, holy shit, really? Not really. I honestly, so I I don't use Spotify, um, so I haven't looked at it until like really recently, and I was actually like surprised when I looked at what some bands numbers are on there and other ones where I was like, that seems like way lower than I would have expected or like that's way higher. And I don't really know what to say about it other than that. I think some bands are kind of physical merchandise bands and some bands are digital bands and that, um, you know, like, our YouTube and Spotify numbers aren't great, <laughs> but uh, like we sell quite a few records, um, especially the actual vinyl records. Uh, like when we were talking to Nuclear Blast about like how many we should press for the first pressing uh, of the album, you know, we determined that like eighty percent of our sales are vinyl. And uh, that's a crazy high number. Yeah. And we don't we don't do shit in digital numbers, <laughs> but but um you know and then they were like okay so we'll press X number of albums and then we sold out of every vinyl pressing or every vinyl copy uh like within several hours on the day that the pre sales went up and we still haven't been able to put up a second pressing of records which means that we're probably missing out on a lot of sales, but uh, yeah. we want to be able to say to you, like, 
you pre-order the second pressing, it'll get to you in March instead of just being like, it'll come eventually. Sooner or later. Um, yeah. So I have a hypothesis that for some bands, uh, that's a really strong indicator of how successful they are and what songs are successful. But for other bands, it doesn't matter as much. And I would guess that we're one of those bands where it doesn't matter as much and that, um, you know, like our biggest listened to song is going to be the one that's on a video game soundtrack because that's the biggest platform that we have. Uh, and so like the song that's in a video game is like the highest stream. Song. I was really surprised. And that seems about obvious. That. I was really surprised yeah. about it. Um, yeah, but it, it it doesn't surprise me too much. And, and the other interesting thing is like, there's a different audience between Apple music and Spotify, like on Apple music, yeah. I can see that like the top, streamed song it doesn't tell you how many it has but is candlelight from hunted um but on spotify it's like you know our two biggest cover songs basically right. so it's like i don't really know what any of this means about anything <laughs> so i i try not to pay attention to it it doesn't seem to track onto our like experience super well right because i don't think we're like a digital band per se it doesn't correlate directly sure um, well, I, uh, I'm going to steal a phrase from Kowloon Walled City here, and uh, you, you're talking about the record sales for you guys. I'm going to buy me a five-inch digital record from you guys here real soon. <laughs> One of them tiny records? Yeah. Yeah, those can hold a lot of music. We never make albums that fill up one of those boys. <laughs> we always... Uh... We're still vinyl purists at heart, and we always try and make records that are sequenced and uh, the appropriate length for a single LP, where you don't have to buy something that costs more because it has two LPs because there's one song that they decided to right, include right, right. on the album that means you have to put a second disc out. Um, so for anybody that's like, ah, oh, Chemist always puts out short albums. They're always between 42 and 43 minutes, and... They're always exactly as long as they need to be to fit on an album, so stop complaining. I um, I really wish I would have had a way to ask that earlier in this conversation. That is a great fucking answer. Well, it's the truth, and uh, that five-inch mini LP is just a good as good a format as any. Um, you know, cherish it, love it. I'm a '90s kid sitting three feet from way too many of those damn things. I, I have a bunch of them still, too. And I still do buy them sometimes. Like, there are certain albums that I probably will never listen to over the home stereo simply because, like, I don't have the house to myself that often and my wife is probably not going to enjoy this album. So, like, I don't want to put it on and just, like, make her suffer. <laughs> um, you know, there's, like, some limits to what, like, LPs I'll buy for that. Um, but, you know, if it's something, like, blood incantation that i think will be cool to listen to in the car i'll buy a cd instead and i still have a cd that's my car every now and then when i want to pick a fight i'll pick a fight with the vinyl people over cds versus vinyl and i'll ask you know my constant question to walk away with is yeah how many record players are have ever been in any of the cars that you've driven exactly i'm going to put the <laughs> cd in my car well i have uh, a retort to that no oh. I so I used to live in a van when I was in college, um, and uh, I did have <laughs> of my dad's old record player from high school 
in the van, I, I built a, um, a wooden chest that was, uh, like filled with like pillows and, um, and blankets. And it sat inside of this so that it was like suspended so that you could play it, um, you know, hypothetically, even if you were moving and it wouldn't skip around too much. And so I, I legitimately did have a record player in a vehicle. Uh, and would listen to records well, not while I was driving because it's not very safe, but <laughs> it was possible. I guess you're the exception that proves the rule. Then, yeah, I mean that's a really stupid thing to have done. Uh, <laughs> so, like, I don't blame anybody for not doing it, but but you know it has happened. Okay, man, this has been uh, a lot of fun, and like I said, a uh, a, a bit deeper than I think we've gone before. So, you know, first time for everything, uh, but. We're going to bring it back to the stupid here and in this thing in the way that we always do. Uh, I've got a list of rapid-fire questions here for you. Typically, Brian would read them off and say that I'm going to tell you if you're right or wrong, but again, he's not here, so I'm going to do both those things. Okay. Um, Is one of them farts or burps? It may be next time. That's a good yeah, one. You should add it. How That's have I not thought question of that? I could think of. Farts or burps. See if I can do that. on. The... All right. I'm going to have to write that down. i got a pen here. Uh, anyways. Um, Sure, let's lead with that. Farts or burps? Hmm. Burps. I, you know, I agree with you there. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Good job. Toilet paper over or under? Over. There you go. Beatles or Stones? Stones. Amen. Simpsons or no Family much. Guy? Simpsons. All right, you are lights out so far. Gummy bears or worms? Bears, classic. They're tasty either way. Beer or liquor? Beer. Marvel or DC? Don't give a fuck. <laughs> Which is a perfectly worthwhile answer. Woods or the ocean? Woods. Fall or spring? Fall. Um, just because we've... Sure, I'm going to do this here. Go to karaoke song. Not yours. Uh, no, I would never sing one of my songs at karaoke. <laughs> I'm gonna give two different answers. One that I've never done at karaoke before because, like, they wouldn't have this song at most karaoke places, which is "Victim of Changes," Judas Priest song. All right, I would absolutely love to sing that song at karaoke. Um, it'd be so annoying to everybody to do like a <laughs> six and a half minute song with like falsetto screaming at the end. Um, but uh. Uh, uh, that bon that Bon Jovi song, "You Give Love a Bad Name." Oh man, is that what it's called. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, and then the last one here is sausage links or patties. Links. Oh man, ninety nine out of a hundred patties is the answer we were looking for there. Uh, well, so my favorite breakfast sausage. This is gonna be lame. Is like uh, chicken apple sausage. And that really only comes in like links. Uh, and I also would like probably put a little bit of like maple syrup in the pan and let it get kind of glazed on the sausage links. And you can't really pull off the same trick with the sausage patty. Uh, I will say, if you're having a breakfast sandwich, a sausage patty is way more appropriate. Um, so I understand your, your rationale, <laughs> but I disagree with you wholeheartedly. Well, you know, it's your right to be wrong, I guess. Um, 
the last question here is something unique to just this show. Nobody's ever asked it anywhere before, so be prepared for something wholly new. You, Phil Pendergrass of Chemist, are sent to an island by yourself. You get to bring one album with you. What is that album? Hmm. How long am I on the desert island? Rest of your life. What is my motivation on the desert island to try and party to to listen to an album that won't make you want to kill yourself nobody's ever asked what's my motivation there i had no idea how to answer that (laughs) i'm overthinking it Uh, (laughs) it doesn't come through at all uh you know what this might be influenced by an earlier question you asked me, but I'm going to go with the Rolling Stones' Sticky Fingers. Ooh, there you go. That's a good one. I I, I love the string of albums that they did in the 70s. Um, I really, you know, like Let It Bleed could be another appropriate answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, or even, like, Some Girls. Uh I like some girls some, way some, more than I want to admit. Sometimes that album is fucking some, yeah. Great. Some people don't like that, but I, I love that album. I think "Beast of Burden" is probably my favorite Stone song, one of my favorite songs ever. But I there's just something about Sticky Fingers that's like the perfect combination of like really like grooving, rocking, dirty, down home rock in like one half of the album, and then the other half is like really moody, sad, introspective, like late night drive after you broke up with your girlfriend type songs or like, you know, uh, you're like making your way home after getting like way too drunk and um, you're you're like feeling kind of sad, like, why did I do that again? (laughs) And it, it just feels like, you know, something like Moonlight Mile on that album, like perfectly captures the spirit of that. And uh or sister morphine oh man that sounds so great yeah that flowers i I just i just love that that album wild horses like i i i'm somebody that likes like country music and rock and roll and uh that album has enough of both that it's like has enough different moods represented that i think i could get by on it for the rest of my life if I had to. And the funny thing is, is that it, it's, if I remember right, it's the album right after Exile. And yeah. it's, uh, I mean, Exile is obviously great and all that fun stuff, but it's not as, it doesn't feel as bloated as Exile on Main Street sometimes feels. It, Yeah. Like Exile, it, it comes back and ends strong, but there are points in that album where it's, son of a bitch, this thing's still going. Yeah, yeah, it's just kind of in- inconsistent. Um, I do like that there's so much material and that so much of it is pretty good. That, like, that would also be a strong one just because it has a lot. There's on just it. so much, yeah. But, um, or you know, something like the Clashes, uh, London Calling, like that would be an appealing record because it's like so varied in what's on the record that like you're like i want to listen to reggae today (laughs) or like i want to listen to like a 50s lounge song today you know um or i want to rock my ass off like all those are legitimate moods on that album but yeah there's just something like very consistent about sticky fingers 
I don't ever get bored of it. It doesn't have any of like the annoying stone songs that get played all the time. Um, like Brown Sugar is as close as it gets. And like that song doesn't really get old for me. It's kind of like a crass and stupid song. Right. Makes it perfect for this podcast, but <laughs> it, it's a good one. And it, it's not annoying. Like some of the other ones are that get played all the time. So, um, and then can't you hear me knocking is like, Oh my God, that song is fucking, fucking great. Bang. Yeah, and it turns into like a Latin groove it's that like could have been on a ends. Santana album. It's so good. Like, yeah, there, you, there's no missing with that one. So that yeah. riff is fucking money, man. It is so good. And then, yeah, ah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, I, we're gonna. I end. at one point bought a Telecaster with a humbucker in the neck, just so that I could play the riff on "Can't You Hear Me." <laughs> And have it sound the way that I wanted it to. And then I got rid of the guitar. Damn straight. Well, uh, <laughs> we're going to end this here podcast. And everybody stay tuned for the podcast that Phil and I are going to start. Where we just go through classic rock albums like the Stone Sticky Fingers. Which you've heard of an obvious preview for here. And um, other than that, like I said, we'll, uh, we'll end this one. And uh, thanks again for joining me tonight, Phil. Hey, Brian's not going to be involved in the other podcasts. Dude, he, he wouldn't. Trust me, you don't want his opinions on music any damn way. Okay, I don't want to meet him. So if we come out into town uh, near you, make sure that he's not invited. I can do that. Okay. I can do that. Well, great talking to you, man. Uh, Happy to be here, and thanks for talking to me. Thanks again, man. Take it easy. Yeah, you too. Apparently that went well. I have no idea yet. It did. It was really good. He was really good. It it went... it was a deeper conversation than we may have ever had on this on this fucking podcast before. So you've got that going for us, which is we've got that going for us, which is nice. And because I'm only naturally good at being stupid, of course, by the end of it, I brought it around to being stupid as well. Perfect. Uh, thanks again to Phil for having that conversation and all of the things that uh, you know, all of the shit that he dealt with, and us having that conversation. He is a good dude, and their album is fucking awesome trust me again you cannot wait to hear it to spell it the album the name of the band chemist yes. k-h-e-m-m-i-s there you go not that it wasn't in the bio or anything but just in case just in case now you've heard me be able to spell it yep uh stay tuned after this bit of us rambling for their song house of cadmus off of the upcoming album deceiver uh again out november 19th thanks again to Brimminghorn. Review us on iTunes. Follow us on any and all the socials, as well as Chemist if you don't already. And um, and you don't have to wait till the 19th, right? Because they have other albums. So you can go check them out right now. Sure, yeah. They've got all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Is there anything else, Brian? No. You're going to say? I, I drove a half an hour for this. You're going to say bye? All right, bye. <laughs>